Good to see you. Happy Sunday to you. Um, this is the Sunday after Easter, and he is still risen, which is good news for you and me. Um, we've been, if, you've, if you're new with us, just started tracking with us. We've been in the book of Philippians for a little while, um, and we're gonna, we've been walking verse by verse through that. book of Philippians is in the New Testament. We're going to read that in just a second, and, and uh, we'll be in Philippians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 18 through 26 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, you don't follow on the app, it'll be on, um, on, on a screen here in just a few minutes. And uh, Tom and I, as we began to like pray through what was the next section of Scripture, we came to Philippians, and then as we're reading... <clears throat> getting ready for all of these messages, Go, the book of the Philippians is kind of like Top 40 Radio, and here's what I mean by that. All they do is play the hits, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Like Top 40, they just play the hits. There are so many iconic passages of Scripture that are, are verses of Scripture that come out of Philippians, and today we're going to look at one of the hits, which is Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's pretty heavy, especially for... <laughs> 10 o'clock on a Sunday, right? But, but nevertheless, we're going to dive in today to see the hits here. And if you would, Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. And let's see if I can do this without choking to death. And uh, verse 18, it says this, Paul says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. That gives us some context and connects it with the passage that had just preceded it. Paul had said he's in prison now when he's writing this letter, and he constantly says that he is rejoicing in prison because Christ is being proclaimed. He's writing to this church that he knew real well. He knew the members. He helped plant this church. And so in writing this, this letter, he is telling them that even though I'm in prison, the gospel is still advancing. And there are some that are preaching the gospel for spite, and there are some that are preaching out of a good heart. But he rejoices that the gospel is being preached, the gospel being the good news of Christ. What we celebrated at Easter, that Jesus, the God-man, came, lived a sinless life, died a vicarious, substitutionary death where he took on sin so that all who would believe in him could have their sins forgiven. That sacrifice was proven to be true by the resurrection from the dead because people don't get up from the dead. The resurrection is the receipt that showed the bill for sin sin had been paid by Jesus in full, and he's ascended, and he's coming, and that is the good news. And he rejoices that even though he's in prison, the gospel's advancing, and it doesn't matter who's preaching it as long as it's going forward, because that is the good news. And so we pick up at the end of verse 18, he says, yes, I will rejoice. Rejoicing in prison, I imagine, would be a hard thing to do. By God's grace, I have not been in prison yet. But I hear they're not great, uh, they're not great places. <laughs> so if I laughed a little too hard about the yet statement of that. <laughs> and yet I will rejoice. He is rejoicing in his chains because he has something higher than himself, the gospel. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. If you have your own copy of God's Word, you might want to circle that. It's an important word. Verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all put to shame, but I, that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, I want you to notice something. He says in verse 19 that he says he believes through their prayers and the Holy Spirit is going to turn out for his deliverance. And then he talks about his life or his death. Doesn't seem real confident. And I, th I want you to, I want you just to see this. Paul believes his deliverance will come whether he dies in prison or whether he gets to continue to preach the gospel. 
he knows that God will deliver him. He is confident that his circumstances will not determine his destiny. His circumstances will not determine his future, but God does. And so he says this, It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's the top 40 of the Bible right there. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two options. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better. And he's talking about death here. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh, to live, to go on living in the flesh, is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to see you again. Paul is certain of, of something, that he won't be put to shame. The shame here has a big connotation that because he's trusting in Christ, whether he dies in prison or is executed while he's in prison or he lives and continues on the gospel, it doesn't matter as long as Christ is honored in his body and that he will not be put to shame because Christ has him in his hand and his destiny, his ultimate goal, his ultimate, where his life is heading is in his hand. And Paul does believe, as he talks about here, he does believe that through their prayers, he will be delivered. And he does think that he will get out of prison and go back and see this church. But if he doesn't, he is fully aware that, that, that the Lord will deliver him in one way, even if it has to be deliverance. And to this and all these things, his prayer is in verse 20, that Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And he has found, Paul, has found something to live for greater than himself, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to argue, with, argue today that we are asking ourselves two questions constantly, or at least we should be. Sometimes we medicate or try to d distract ourselves to not ask these questions, but they're really some of the major questions of life. And here's the first one. What are you living for? What are you living for? Like, what's the reason you get up in the morning? What's the reason that you get out of bed? What's the reason that when the alarm goes off, you don't hit snooze like 12 times, you only hit it six, okay? What's the reason that you get out on a cold April morning Okay, what's the reason you swing those feet out of bed, put on your shoes, and get out of the house? What is, what are you living for? And that should be the answer is Christ. But we always have to ask ourselves the question, what are we living for? Because quite honestly, a lot of times we're either too distracted to think about it, or we live for ourselves. The thing that looms the largest in our lives is ourself. And we have to crucify the flesh. And Paul has come to this point where he sees, sees Jesus as so valuable that that is what he is living for. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2 records the words of the Lord to the people of God. And here's what he says. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. It's some shock value, okay? Do you know that American television is 
is predicated on shock value, right? Shock value. If you watch the news, they open with the most shocking stories on purpose. Even the news has become infotainment. And so there's this, this shock value that the Lord wants these people to be utterly shocked about what he's about to say. In Jeremiah chapter 2, and then he says this, For my people have committed two evils. You ever been called in the principal's office or something like that, and you don't know what you did? You're just like, oh, what is it going to be this time, okay? I get that sometimes now because I say, hey, can we talk? And people are like, you're the pastor. What are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. Nothing. No, nothing. What are you going to say? I don't know. I mean, I'm going to ask you about a donut. I don't know, okay? That's a situation here where the Lord says, I want you to be shocked about what I'm about to bring against you. And the Lord said, for my people have committed two evils. And there's this kind of like, what evil are you talking about? And here's what they are. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and you have hewed out for yourselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so the greatest thing, that the thing that the, the people of Israel, the people of God should be appalled by is that they are not delighting in God who is a source of living water, a source of continued refreshment and sustenance. We have, thought, we have found our pleasures and other things that do not satisfy. And what we have done is we have made for ourselves these things to hold water, but they're broken and they leak out and they don't hold water. And that is what it's like to live for anything other than Christ, but so many times. And that's why we need to ask these questions all the time. So many times, whether we want to or not, we are off target. And what we are living for is not Christ, but it is ourselves. So what are we living for? Paul had come to the point, he saw Jesus as supremely valuable. And because of that, he says, I, I do this. I'm in prison, and so I don't care if, that, if people slander me. I don't care if, if whatever. As long as Christ is preached, I'm good. And then in verse 20, he says, it's my eager expectation that I'll get released, and I won't be, be put to shame, but if I am, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life and death. If my circumstances end up in a gruesome, shameful death, then as long as Christ is honored, I'm okay with that. But if my circumstances go on, and if it's fruitful labor, I'm fine with that too. It's what Christ wants. It's all about him. That is crazy talk. But when you think about the sacrifice of Christ and the worth of Jesus and all who God is, you say with the hymn writer, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Anything less is unacceptable. What are you living for? And I ask this question because we always want to say, Christ, but can we examine our lives? And what I'm hoping is this. And what the Lord does every time that you come to a passage is we need recalibration. We get off course. And when you come to these things like that, you need, to, you need to really take a moment and say, am I living for you, Jesus, or am I living for myself? If you did these things, if the gospel is true, then I have no business living for myself. I've been bought by you. I'm no longer my own. You deserve it all. So we must ask that question, what are we living for? Paul has come to the point where he said, if I'm in jail, if I die, Jesus. If I live, it's for Jesus. 
We come down in verse 21. He says this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if you leave out here with nothing, just make sure you get this top 40 hit of the Christian Bible, okay? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He wants Christ to be honored and everything. What is he living for? Paul has, is trying to, to, in this letter, trying to show the Philippian church what you should live for at your uttermost, at your highest pinnacle of living, is living for Christ, not living for yourself. And here's this. What are you living for? The next question is, how are you living? Because Paul says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is backwards thinking for most of us. <laughs> because how many of you are excited about death? Like when you think about the prospect of dying, you're like, yeah, let's do this thing, okay? It's not something that is, is very um, appealing, okay? It's not. There's all sorts of things that, you, that just make you real uncomfortable about death. Maybe they don't make you uncomfortable, but they make me uncomfortable. The thought of, the thought of embalming. Even though I'm not going to be there um, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, that's some gross stuff. Now, if you do that, you help families out. Because I know we got some people in here who used to do that or still do that. That's cool. I'm all about that. But I don't want to do that flips me out a little bit. You know, there's some places that if you get locked in at night, you're going to be absolutely terrified. Number one's a church. Never been locked in a church at night? It gets a little creepy. Especially this one. I don't know what's in here. Okay. <laughs> Amen, Tom, right? Um, <clears throat> you got that one? You go, you get locked in a, uh, a mental institution? That's like every horror movie starts with that, Okay. Or get locked in a funeral home. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Death is frightening. And he is, he's saying for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he talks about being hard-pressed between the two things. I want, to get, I want you to understand something. What are you living for? The, Paul is trying to impress upon the Philippian believers that Christ is the only thing and the best thing to live for. And then he is trying to answer this question, how are you living, by saying, you are not to live for yourself, but for Christ. For to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You are not, if you are breathing, if you have air in your lungs, and you have day to live, days to live, they should not be spent on, we should not spend them on ourselves, but we should spend them on what truly matters, what will truly satisfy, what will truly have worth in the end, which is Christ. Because Paul is saying here to them, as an example of his faith, and an example to them in this opening section, that here is what you should live for, and here is how you should live. So in the Christian life, there is either living for Christ or dying for gain. Living for Christ or dying for gain. And Paul says this in verse 22. Or verse 21 says, for me to live, live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 22 says, I, if I am to live in the flesh, that means faithful labor for me. I want you to underline that if you have your own copy of God's Word, but just think about that. This is the thing. For Paul to live... For him, it means faithful labor. 
So here's what he's saying. If you are in Christ and your goal is to live for him, which obviously Paul's is, he says, whether in my life or death, as long as Christ is honored and the gospel is preached, I'm good. I know it's not going to be my shame. For me to live as Christ is I gain. And then he goes on and he expounds on what it means to live for Christ. And that means faithful, fruitful labor. Work. Monday is coming, folks. You know that, right? And for many, Monday's a tough day. Sunday night, you start getting that, oh, it's coming. It's coming. You know? You know what I mean. Monday's coming, and you're going to have to go back to work. And work is something. First off, you need to know this. Work is a good thing, and, the, and it was given to Adam and Eve before the fall. But work has been made difficult because of the fall. So if you want to think about something, when you wake up on you have one of those Mondays, you can just thank sin for that, okay? Because it's frustrated work, all right? First off, secondly, I want you to see we, we, do, we often have a bad connotation towards work. However, the Bible sees dignity in work and calling in work no matter what that work is. Also, we, all, we know that, that we are called, we were called out by God's grace, to be his workmanship, to do works that were planned for us ahead, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2. We've been saved by grace through faith for good works, not because of good works, but for them. And so Paul is saying, if we are going to live on in the flesh, it means that we will be fruitful in our labors. So in the Christian life, there is rest. Thank God that there is rest. Okay? Certainly there is. There's a Sabbath pattern that was laid out for us. Thankfully, the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Jesus, our rest, but the Sabbath pattern remains. And so if you can't work seven days a week for the whole entirety of your life, just hear me, you need to know this. You cannot work seven days a week for years and years and think your health will be good and think you'll be in a good place physically, emotionally, spiritually. If sometimes when you are in a spiritual bad place or a physical bad place, you know what you need to do? I'm going to give you some real spiritual advice. Take a stinking day off and take a nap. Now some people here, some, that's an amen one right there. Like, take a nap. All right. Some people, though, are lazy. You don't need to rest. You need to kick in the rear. Because that's why I want you to hear that fruitful labor is what the Christian life's about. So here's the thing. To live in the Christian life, there is rest. Godly rest. And there is reassignment, which there are seasons in life. Which God calls people to different places at different times, and there's different seasons in your life. Different seasons in your church, different seasons in your career, different seasons for you, different places. There are different seasons. There is reassignment. There's rest, there's reassignment. There's a time to be in one place and there's a time to be in another place. There are different seasons of life. But there is no retirement. Let me say that again. You need to hear this. In the Christian life, there is rest. Amen. There is reassignment. Sometimes you're not called to stay in the same place and serve at the same place for, for your entire life. God changes the season of your life. There is rest and reassignment, but there is no retirement. There's none. 
And what I mean is it's not that you can't move out of your job and transition and then have some time off. But if you think that you can rest, you have arrived, you are wrong. Just wrong. There's nothing about it. It's it's sin to do that. To think I have arrived spiritually is to not understand the scriptures that say you're being sanctified, which means you're being made more like him. And that won't stop until you're like him, which will be when you expire or he comes. That is true. There is no retirement. There is no. He says, for me to live is Christ. And then he explains that. He says this, for me to live is Christ. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, which means if I have to continue my mortal life, in verse 22, that means fruitful labor for me. That means if I am in Christ, then I will be working. There is no time. There is some time for rest. Yes, we have to get a right rhythm. There is a time for reassignment. Absolutely. But there is no such thing as retirement. If you are living and breathing and in Christ, you should get to work. Everybody. Faithful labor. And Paul is going to understand that, but I I wanted to tell you uh, a little thing. Now, I went down this week to a funeral for my Aunt Vern. Okay, this is, we went to South Georgia. So all the names that I'm going to talk to you about in a little bit, you're going to be like, yeah, that sounds like South Georgia. Just about something about South Georgia. It's hot, okay, and there's gnats everywhere. If you don't know what a gnat is, God bless you. It is like, it's a plague on the, on the earth. And South Georgia is a nice place except for the heat and the gnats, okay? And so we went down there. My Aunt Vern passed away. She was a hundred, well, she, will, she would have been 102 years old. That's the easiest type of funeral to go to of all time, right? Because it is. Because you lived a long life. Also, when we got there, it was at First Baptist Church of Blakely, Georgia. We rolled into this, this, this church, and the pastor got up, and he read Proverbs 31 and compared it to my aunt. Now, I want to be clear here, okay? I'm going to talk about two godly branches that are ascending towards the heaven in my family tree. But I want you to know this. I have plenty of broken, screwed up branches that are trending towards hell. Okay? I just want you to know that. So when I say this, my family tree is not like godly all the way. It's like funky, and there's some of this, and there's some like this. Okay? Just like probably yours is too. All right? So this is not some like, I'm not going to get carpal tunnel or whatever, pat myself on the back here. But I just got to go to her funeral. 102 years old. Her pastor is saying how godly she was. Up until about a year ago when she was just the, the, the young spring chicken of 101, she was still having Sunday school at her house, and she would attend church. And she had been attending church there for almost her entire life and had been faithfully serving there. The pastor got up, and this was probably her, like, 20th pastor, okay, because they have come and gone. Here's time it happens, okay? And so he gets up there and he said, I didn't know her well, but she was still having Sunday school parties. Her Sunday school class was full of 80-year-olds. If you think about it, if you're 101, they're 20 years younger. It was, it was by far, it was a cool funeral. Also, the, I got to tell you this. This is free. I'm going to cost you anything. The phone rang. This just shows you the demographic we're in. The phone rang really loudly. Like one of those like megaphone loud. <laughs> rang. Okay. You got it. It was that loud. And the guy turned it off. <laughs> Rings again. Guy sitting right behind me. He hits it. His wife looks over and she thinks she's whispering. She's got whisper tone, but she's got regular volume. Turn it off. He goes, I thought I did. And they're like talking. The guy's preaching. They're talking. 
Dad, am I lying? This happened. And he's like, I thought I did. And I'm just sitting there like, don't laugh, because the guy's probably like, I'm in the family section, and it's starting to, you know, get it. You know, I'm like a pew shake. You'd have thought when you reach 80 or 90, it was time to reel it in. But what I got to hear from this man, sadly, I hadn't seen my aunt in probably 20 years, was that she was faithful. And she did not phone it in. She was faithful until her health gave way in her her 101st year. And because of that, usually if you go to a funeral of somebody who is very elderly, the place would not be very full. But the, the worship center was pretty full. And there's a reason. She did not see retirement as an option, but she said to live is Christ. This means fruitful labor to me. Your labor may change. What it is may change. She couldn't, <laughs> she wasn't going out and doing the car wash with the youth, okay? Why don't you get that? Okay? She wasn't doing yard work. She needed to be ministered to in some of those ways, but she always opened her house up for them, and she did it until she passed. And all of them were talked about how many times, all of us, at the, when we got together, we're talking about how many times we had been in that, extra, they had built this extra room on their house, and they had all these family get-togethers, and it was a sign and a symbol that to live is Christ. So just a small, in South Georgia of all places, to see another place of to live is Christ. If you live on, it's faithful labor. And I think about another one of my aunts, and I told you, remember, this is, this is the good part of the tree. There's some other parts, too. I want to be clear about that. This is definitely a South Georgia name. My Aunt Mert, she lived into her 90s. She got put in a nursing home. And you know what she did? Some people, when they get pers- put in a nursing home, they get mad. And this wasn't the best place, but when she got there, she started winning her people in, in the nursing home to Jesus, and they started worshiping in the nursing home. And she told my dad when he went to see her, she's like, bloom where you're planted, Randy. Bloom where you're planted. Most of us would see our circumstances and see the darkness of them, see the reality that your body is wasting away, and we would forget what we are purposed to do. And we would think we are living for ourselves. But they have, in a tangible way for me, challenged me and have helped me understand this scripture. These faithful saints. Paul, for him, to live was Christ. And that means fruitful labor. If he was going to be in the body, if he was going to live on and not go and be with Jesus, it means fruitful labor for him. And so I want to call you this to this. In the Christian life, you need to know what you're living for. Secondly, you need to know how you're living. You need, to, you need to know that there is rest, there is reassignment, but there is no retirement. You signed up for the entirety of your breathing existence to serve and be fruitful for Christ and to honor him, whether by life and by death. And so Paul gives us a couple ways in which we can actually do that, what we, we can see fruitful labor. If you go back up to verse 18, which I just read, he says this, what then? Only that in every way, whether I, in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and that I rejoice. Paul's greatest thing, his most fruitful labor is proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so that is what it means to be a, 
a fruitful laborer. And so here's this. If you are in Christ, if you are a Jesus follower, that means your life should be everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian janitor or if you are a, a, a Christian businessman or you're a cre- Christian white-collar worker, blue-collar worker. Every one of us, not just the Christians that get the rev next to their name or whatever, everybody, every believer is to be a proclaimer, and that's what it means to be fruitful, a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus. And here's the great thing. People expect the pastor to tell you about Jesus, right? In fact, when I meet people, it's almost like when I tell them I'm a pastor, like, I do good things. Okay, that and a quarter (laughs) won't do anything for you, okay? Um, I mean, awesome, okay? And they're like, I do really good things, but they expected that at some point I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. It's expected. But I want you to know something. What is the impact of the person who faithfully works at their job, who works as as unto the Lord, and realizes that the purpose is not just to make a living, which is nice, but the purpose in their vocation is to make much of Christ and proclaim him. You can proclaim Christ in your place way better than I can proclaim it in your sphere of influence and in your workplace. Because Christ has called you to that. He's called you. He's given you unique gifts and a personality, and he's called you out of darkness into life. And what it means here for Paul, what it means for fruitful labor is to proclaim the gospel. And what it means for us, we can't retire. We have to go on and preach and proclaim the good news. Now, that'll take different forms in different places. Sometimes... <laughs> It rarely means standing up on some type of desk in your office and screaming at people about Jesus. That rarely works. Secondly, it also doesn't mean that you need to be the moral police, okay? There's this thing called the Holy Spirit, okay? There's a person of God. He'll take care of it. You just need to proclaim the truth and love in truth. And yes, if you see sin, you can talk about sin. But folks, folks, you cannot convict the world of sin. And about who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit of God, that's his job. But you need to be a conduit. So Paul, for him to continue on to work is preaching the gospel. For Paul also, it is to encourage, and fruitful labor is to encourage and equip the believers. This is what he would say in verse 25. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Paul's, Paul really believes that through the prayers of the Corinthians and the work of the Holy Spirit, that he's going to be released, Okay. He has that hunch, okay? He doesn't know it for, sure, for certain because he, he recognized that he could die. But in verse 25, he says, I'm convinced. I have a hunch that God is going to deliver me out of this prison so I can continue on in faithful, fruitful labor. And then he goes on and says, and he says, I know I will remain and continue with you all. In verse 25, he says, for your progress. Why would he remain? For your progress and joy in the faith. So fruitful labor is proclaiming the gospel, but fruitful labor is also for encouraging and equipping other believers. Here's the thing. Your Christianity is not just about you. It's about others. It's about the glory of God, absolutely. And it's not just about your salvation. We tend to think of salvation as simply individual, individualistically. But it's not. You are saved for good works, and part of those works are to encourage and and complete the joy of other believers. See, here's the thing. We are not alone in this, in our faith. And Paul is saying, for me to continue on is to, in verse 25, to be about the progress and joy of those believers in the faith. 
So the reason he exists and the reason you exist and you're, you're allowed to continue to live, this is why as soon as you're saved, Christ doesn't just suck you out of the world. It's because you're here to proclaim the gospel and you're here for one, we're here for one another to encourage one another, to bring joy to each other's lives and community and in love and to, to help each other progress in the faith. We can't stay where we are. We have to continue with our fruitful labor and we don't have to do it alone, but we do it together. And a job done together, more times than not, is more fun. Besides a group project, okay, <laughs> it's more fun. And it's more encouraging. For example, I was talking about this with Lisa and Ed. We got some coffee filters that no longer work here at the church. And she was like, what should we do with these coffee filters? You guys remember I did youth ministry and still work in it, but did it just youth ministry for a long time, which means that I have a chemical imbalance, okay? That's what it means, all right? Uh, like, I see things, and I'm like, we could throw that at someone, okay? I see that. We could, we could make kids eat that. That would be awesome, okay? All right. They have all these coffee filters back there. One, we did a disciple now, which we had done here at their church just recently, but we did one with five churches when I was in Macon, Georgia, and we had a bunch of coffee filters, and we got flour, and so what we did is we filled up 3,000 coffee filters with flour, twisted them, and played capture the flag type games, which I call flower ball. Amy calls Guga Muga, but she's wrong. Um, we would throw these at each other. So like you'd play capture the flag and how you get the person out was you'd throw the, the coffee filter filled with flour and it would explode. And we played this with like 300 kids. It was awesome, okay? But you know what's not awesome about that? There's two things that are not awesome. First off, it's filling up that many things of uh, that many coffee filters full of flour. And thankfully, I had a whole team that we got together and we had these scoops, which we washed thoroughly, um, that were the ice scoops for our church. And we filled up 3,000 of these packets so we could hurl at each other. And then the other part of it was uh, you have to clean it up. And the cleanup, if you do one person clean up, that's bad. But if you do everybody cleans up, that's good. And so here's the thing. Also, the cleanup was fun with that many kids because they're already covered in flour. So when they pick them up, they were still like, <laughs> flour, flour, okay? You know this to be true. Mitch just shook his hands, which means we're going to do this at some time. If you know Mitch, he's getting pumped. He was like, yeah, Matt. You don't know Mitch. He works with our teenagers, and he's getting pumped, okay? And we're going to have to do that. What does it look like? And it's just one of many examples of the fact that joy and the progression of the faith happens in a community. And so to live if you live in the flesh, if you go on to live in the flesh, it's for proclaiming the gospel. It's for encouraging and equipping other believers in the faith, being in community with each other, calling each other on. And it's honestly everything about this, and this is what Paul says, whether in life and death in verse 20, it's all to honor Jesus. And I'm thankful for my aunts that showed me what it's like because I've never been 80 and I'll, I'll probably never be 100. But they showed me and reminded me of this passage, that to go on in this Christian life, there needs to be rest, there can be reassignment, but there's never retirement. You always must go forward in fruitful labor, proclaiming the gospel, encouraging and equipping other believers, stepping forward in faith and always honoring Jesus, because he is the big deal, not us. We don't live for ourselves, we are passing and short. Jesus is eternal. And Jesus is worthy of everything. He's worthy of your entire life. Yes, in the Christian life, there is rest and reassignment, but no retirement. But there is graduation. There is graduation. And in graduation, we just did. Now, I don't, 
listen, you may get real pumped about this, but we sent my son Friday to, to Trousdale, County, Trousdale County Elementary School for his cap and gown pictures. My son's five. He's going through kindergarten, which he did inform us that kindergarten was his last year. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's done. But they took cap and gown pictures. I don't know. It kind of seems like a bait and switch to me. You're done. Now 12 more years at least. Okay? Yay. Okay, they took these cap and gown pictures. And what does that mean? It's like, hey, he's graduated. He's out of kindergarten. The only reason it's done, you know why, is the cuteness factor. You got this short level where they're super cute. And you're like, let's maximize the cuteness. Let's get them little tiny hats that are, like, weird and little gowns. Okay? And <laughs> we told him about the gowns. He's like, I don't want to wear a dress. Like, that's not the type of gown. It's a graduation thing. And so Paul, what does he say? For me to live is Christ, which means fruitful labor, which means preaching the gospel, proclaiming other people, all for Jesus. But if you go down and you look in verse 22, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means faithful labor for me. Yet, I don't know which one I'll choose. I can't tell. Verse 1 says, I am hard-pressed between the two. He says, I am hard-pressed between whether I want to live on and work for Christ and be for here for your joy and your encouragement in the faith but I'm hard-pressed because my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And many of us hold on to life as is it, this earthly life as, is, as if it's the only thing, if it's, as if it's the major thing. But Paul recognizes something, that to die is gain. To live on is fruitful labor. To die. And fruitful labor that has sacrifice in it too because he's in prison, right? But he knows to die is gain. Why? Because all of that sacrifice is now done. He has run his race at that point. Secondly, the prize that awaited him, Paul would say this in different passages of Scripture, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So he knows this, that he is going, and in fact, it even says it in this passage, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. He is desiring to be, to leave the physical body for his spirit to go to be with Christ until the resurrection day. That's what he's hoping, is when he dies, his last breath on the in heaven is, is, is followed immediately by his first breath with the Lord in heaven. And so he is hard-pressed about that. He wants to depart. He knows the goodness of that. And so I'm, I, it scares me for us to think that sometimes we think of, her, of heaven as so ethereal and out there that it's, it's people just sitting on clouds with harps that we forget that it's the presence of the God. And we also forget that one day he's going to remake the heavens and earth and we're going to reign with him on this new heavens and new earth. It's not ethereal, but it's the presence of the resurrected risen one who died for us. And Jesus, his presence is, a, is so good and heavenly heaven and the presence of God is so much better than our earthly striving. Paul knows he wants to continue on to work. If he's here, he works, but he does know that, that being with Jesus upon death or him coming is better. It's gain. It's a, good th it's a graduation, and I was able to do that. For my Aunt Vern, it's hard to be upset at a lady who's lived 102 years when she passes. I mean, there's just some sadness, yes. But a life well lived, you applaud. And you go, man, it's like, it's like oh, I wish she could have made it to 105. No, it's not like she, 102 is good. You got to 102, you should, I mean, that's good news. She had made it to this place, and now we can see that as a going home. But when we see it of somebody younger, we don't see it as a going home. 
We see it as them being ripped out of our lives. And, and to a certain extent, that is true. And we should never belittle somebody's grief because that's true. But if you are in Christ, to die is gain. I've been reading the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And in that, there's a man who is on his way to heaven. And now you got to understand, this is a fictitious book meant to be fiction. But it helps us understand people's hearts. And there's this already resurrected saint that's helping guide this man towards heaven. And here's what the resurrected saint says to this man on his journey to heaven. Son, he said, you cannot, you cannot in your present state understand eternity. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for this. You don't know what I've been through. How difficult my time, time is. He's, this man is saying there's, that, that people on earth, people who are, have not tasted eternity yet, can't understand these principles. That no, that they believe that no future bliss can ever atone for or take away everything, all the hardships and pain they have, going, have, have been going through. And then the redeemed saint says this, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into glory. Let me say that again. That heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn every agony into glory. We can see a little bit of this. When you look back on a really terrible situation in your life and then three or four years later, you realize how God has used that to make you the person you are. You... <laughs> You almost look like that. You almost look to that wound as a friend now because it moved you closer to Jesus, where it moved you out of one way of life into this other way of life that is so fruitful. And that is just a foretaste of what eternity does. And I wanted you to get this you need to see the prize of being with Jesus in heaven or the new heavens and the new earth when those come as a prize to be grasped and longed for. And something that you're not miss. if you miss out here, you got eternity to find goodness and joy and pleasure in God that will so dwarf the pain here. And that if you continue, no matter how many years you have left on this earth, you must, until you get to that day of gain where you're with Jesus, you got to work. You got to labor not for your salvation, but from your salvation. Here's what I'm talking about. In the Christian life, called out by grace, trusting Jesus, he calls you to rest. Yes, to rest in him for grace. To rest and have a rhythm in your life of rest. And sometimes there will be reassignment. But there is never retirement. For to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Now Clint's going to come up here. And we're going to do something we don't often do, but we're going to have a time of reflection, a time of, uh, uh, he's going to play a song about what it means to live as Christ. And here's what I'm going to call you to do, call myself to do. First off, examine your heart, but more importantly, ask God to examine your heart. The psalmist would say, search me and try me, O Lord, and see if there's any wicked way within me. And I ask you these two questions to really search your life. What am I living for? And you may just need to turn from that. I mean, some of you in here today that are not believers in Jesus Christ, and you need to turn from your sin and trust him. 
But there's others here that you have been walking with Jesus and you want, you know him, you've trusted him and his, good, his, his gospel sacrifice, his good news sacrifice. You've trusted in that, but you have been living for yourself. Or if you've gotten just off kilter, I've seen it in my life this week, there's ways I need to repent and turn. And this is a moment for you just in the hustle and bustle of life to take some moments and be with the Lord and say, God, recalibrate me. Secondly, some of you need to hear the word that in the Christian life there's rest and you need to rest in the Lord. Some of you need to hear that there is no retirement and you need to be kicked in the derriere, if you will, to follow him. And today is the day to, as you pray, to make that known to him that I need to labor, Lord. And some of you don't see heaven and being with the Lord as enough treasure. And you, your prayer may need to be in this time of reflection as Clint sings over us to say, Lord, help me see how great what you have in store for me is, that I might not feel like I'm missing out now and know that any agony I, I suffer here, that heaven will work backwards to make it seem like nothing. So if you will, we're going to, you can bow. You can watch the words that will be on the screen, but I ask you to do some business with the Lord. Spend a few moments in reflection as Clint sings over us. Let's do that. And if I lose, let me lose my life. If I belong to Jesus, the flesh is crucified. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I grow, let me grow in you. Wilt the seeds of wanting more, ripping pride up from the roots. And if I'm still, let me hear you speak. Not the tone of my transgressions, but the song of the redeemed. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. My great desire. The place you chose for me, this is the place you chose for me to lift my cross and give everything. This is the time you gave to me, this is the time you gave to me for me to live is Christ, 
For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And die is gain. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And die is Let's pray together. Father, we've been challenged by your word and we've been called to something greater than ourselves. We've been called to a life in Christ. So God, there might be, you might need to wound us so you can heal us. And that you bring that conviction in our life, God, if there's sin, search us and try us. and See if there's any wicked way within us. Help us to remember that our life should be lived for you and not ourselves. We so easily fall into living for ourselves. But you are what matters, and you are the, the joy and the satisfying God. So help us learn what it means to be satisfied in you. Lord, also we come and we recognize that our default is to, to get lazy. But Lord, we know that to live is Christ, and that means fruitful labor proclaim the gospel. Help us to do that. To, to love and encourage one another for their, each other's joy that we might progress in the faith, God. Help us be that people and in all things help us glorify you. God, for some of us, help us see that earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Let's see that to be with you is worth all the sufferings. Help us see clearly, God because we don't. Illuminate our path. Let us walk in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we are going to, if you would, we're going to stand and be dismissed with these words of benediction. For me to live is Christ. And it dies gain. Walk in that truth. You're dismissed.